Hi, I'm Palma Polisel. I'm a solo parent, dog lover, and a member of the widowed community, a club no one wants to join. Following the loss of my spouse, I felt compelled to help others navigate widowhood and find a fulfilling life after loss. I invite you to spend time with me as I am joined by a variety of guests, including widows, widowers, and professional experts. To name a few topics, we will be discussing grief, loneliness, dating, solo parenting, and self-care. We will also discuss finances with topics like dealing with debt, insurance, estates, and building an emergency fund. I believe that resolving financial issues is essential to improving the journey through grief. Together, with both knowledge and empowerment, we will learn how to move forward and navigate this new normal. Hello, Richard. How are you? Hey, good, Palma. How are you today? I am good. What's new? Oh, gosh, lots. Let me start by what happened on the weekend. Uh, oh. I know you and I talk about different restaurants every now and then when and where we go and mm -hmm. what are... We're, we're foodies, definitely. <laughs> yeah, yes, <laughs> I guess. Or snobs, one or the other. No, but... I'm not a snob. <laughs> I just like food. You might be a snob. <laughs> I, thank you. Thank you. Well, I'm maybe like you. When I go out for dinner, it's not just the dinner. The dinner is very, very important because, you know, you're, you're, you want to be fed properly, but it's also the ambiance and the server and just every, the whole vibe of the location. So if you're going to spend two, three hours on a Saturday night, it's a very important event in my mind. You don't want to be let down. So on Saturday night, we went out for dinner, my girlfriend and I, we went to a restaurant in, in downtown Oakville. And I know expectations are a little lower than say downtown Toronto. I'm not, again, I'm not trying to be a snob, but they do have better restaurants, I think, in downtown Toronto. Anyhow, we saw it from the window. It had a beautiful uh, leasehold improvements. It looked really cool. And so we went in. The menu was pretty good, too, from what I could tell. But you know what blew it, Paul? Mm -mm. As, as soon as we got in the room, I could tell that it was not going to be a good night. And it was the loudness or the volume that was coming from this live entertainer. He was a saxophone player and <gasps> oh, he played for cool. about an hour. Yeah, cool. But you couldn't hear a damn thing. <laughs> oh gosh, you're old, Richard. I love I, that. I do too, Palma. But if I'm going to sit down and, and eat, I also want to be able to hear the person beside me and talk to them. I could, we couldn't do that. We were just basically waiting for the guy to take a break. So I guess you won't be going back there again. No, if he plays there or if any other musician plays there, like I, I think he would have been perfect if I at a bar, you know, you have a glass of wine mm -hmm. or a beer, you sit down, you listen to the, the music. You probably aren't even talking at a bar. You're just listening. Anyhow, that night, the food was OK, but then you start nitpicking, right? Because so if you can't <laughs> talk to each other, then all you do is nitpick. Well, this, this food is a little cold. This food wasn't cooked properly. Anyhow. Was not wait, a good. Wait, evening. did you have any loud talkers beside you? Oh yeah, you have that. I have a pet peeve. I think everybody should take a class before they go to a restaurant because they're <laughs> not the only ones in that place. And almost every time I go to a restaurant, there's at least one male or female. It's it it, it almost doesn't matter who talks or laughs louder than anybody else in the room, and you and that's all I hear. Hmm. So they would argue that you should probably eat at home if you're not yeah. okay with this. <laughs> I think I might. I think I might. It's there just, you go. I don't know. I want a nice dinner, great ambiance, well-trained staff, 
and I'll pay a little bit more for it if I have to, but I don't want to be bombarded with all kinds of noise. And, and then on top of that, if the food isn't good or if it's cold, uh, you waste the whole weekend. <laughs> You're done. You're done then. I'm done. I, I don't know. <laughs> I can't do anything beyond that. I go home and I'm angry. So today we'll be talking about grief and mental health resources. So what does grief mean to you, Richard? Yeah, that that's interesting, that question, because until Mary died, I really hadn't gone through any type of real grief. And I think like you or maybe most people who listened may have had a grandparent or an aunt or uncle who passed away. And that was hard. But when you lose your spouse, I think it's it's much harder. I can only say that grief for me affected me in in all kinds of levels personal levels. Like emotionally, I was very negative. I had negative thoughts, which led to depression, anxiety, panic attacks. Physically, I was constantly tired. Although I I try to work out on a regular basis, I was very, very tired. From my behavior point of view, I withdrew. And as you know, when Mary died, we went into the lockdown because it happened just before the pandemic. And then the pandemic shut everything down. I didn't mind not having anybody come over or not going to anybody's house or anywhere for that matter. I didn't mind because I did not want to see anyone during that period of time. So it affected me in every sense of the word. It was multiple levels of, of, of grief. How about you, Palma? You, do you still remember how that I do. I do. For me, it meant a time really, I was just so, so sad, exhausted. Mm -hmm. I don't think I had slept for the six months prior. He was in and out of hospital for that entire time. I was just purely exhausted, emotional, sad, depressed, depressed for most of the time. And I guess that translated into lots of exercise for me as well to try and cope. But Sleeping a lot. You had mentioned yeah. that you couldn't sleep. No, for well, me, I it couldn't. Was the exact opposite. I couldn't I, stay awake. I, just, I couldn't stay asleep. It was my body was catching up on the sleep mm-hmm. that it didn't have for the six months prior. So that's definitely how it affected me. Yeah. Did you a, have a lot of people come over during that period? I know you said your mom and your I sister, did. but how about other people, friends and relatives? Did they come over and visit? All the time. Yeah. Did that yeah. help or make it worse? Sometimes it helped. And sometimes I just wanted to be alone. Mm-hmm. And there were very few of my friends that I, I could actually say that to. So I would end up sitting there, even though I really just wanted to be alone. But just, I mean, they, of course, they meant well. Did they? <laughs> well, they, <laughs> I think so. <laughs> they were, they, it's not comfortable to be around somebody who's so incredibly sad. So True. they came, they came for me. Yeah, they did. So so again, today we're going to be talking about grief and mental health resources. Now, you and I, we both chose to accept therapy while we were going through the process. Richard and I discussed the six stages of grief in episode two. And in that episode, we, we referred to a book called On Grief and Grieving by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. And a link will be in the show notes. You can refer to the link and uh, check out the book and also check out our podcast. Again, that was podcast number two. So I want to tell you why I chose to seek out therapy, Richard. Dave was in hospital. 
yeah. for a good part of the six months prior to his death. Right. And we were sitting there one day and someone came in and said that we have access to a therapist or actually he had told me prior to that, that somebody had already come, but I happened to be visiting and he told me that he wanted me to join in on the therapy session. So it happened to be that afternoon, the therapist came and I thought this is great because uh, mm -hmm. Dave didn't want to talk about anything. Yeah. He just wanted to talk about coming home. Other than that, we didn't really discuss anything. And as I mentioned before, in, a, in I believe it was podcast number one, we talked about how we wanted to live our lives before that. So I wasn't really missing that. But I did miss knowing how he felt. Was he sad? Was he angry? Was he scared? Any of that. And instead, all he wanted to talk about was the support system that he would have once he went home. So he thought about coming home and being cancer free. Mm -hmm. But that at that particular time was really not on the table. It was really not on the table. Hmm. Although I didn't want to believe it. It was not on the table. So and, and, and thus the visit from the therapist at that point. Trying to make it more realistic for him. Right, right. So that's how it went with that. However, the therapist wanted to talk to me privately. So hmm. I had a session with him alone. And the first thing he said, after a little bit of chatting, he said, now I want you to picture your life without Dave. Oh, wow. And I said, that's, that's just not possible. What are you talking? And I wanted to leave. I actually got up yeah. and I said, no, mm -hmm. no, no, I'm not sitting here through this. My life is already hard enough. Right. I can't deal with this right now. And I, he said, no, 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 sit down, hear me out. So I sat back down and he said, how are you coping right now? And I said, it's, it's terrible. And he said, but are you making it through? And I said, I am. And he said, and that's how you'll do it. You'll do day it by one day. day by day. You won't think to the future. You won't think to the past. You'll think of getting through that day. So I ended up saying, yes, you know, this probably would help me. So I continued with him afterwards. And it, it was just for me invaluable, not for everyone, I suppose, but for me, therapy really, really helped me. And yourself, why did you decide to go? Well, like you, I, I didn't have the opportunity to talk to Mary about her final wishes. And we've talked about this in episode one, I believe, and in two, where did she want to be buried? What type of burial? How did she want me to continue raising our children, especially our youngest? We didn't have that opportunity. So I wanted to go to therapy to try to get answers for why she took that approach. I didn't get those answers. I had to come to my own conclusion that that's how she wanted to deal with it. It may not be the way I will deal with it when I get to that point. Again, I, I hope I, I want to handle it differently, but we never know. Mary, to a degree like Dave, didn't want to talk about it. And I think she said it was uh, more than, a, it was about a week before she had passed away. And I said, should I call a priest? And I, I think, you know, in our religion, you have the final blessings and you have that blessing before you die. If you know you're going to die, you have it. It doesn't have to be right mm -hmm. at the last second. So this was just prior to her passing. Yeah. And, and she said to me, she said, I don't need a priest. I'm going to walk out of here. And, you know, like Dave, it was almost impossible for her to walk out of there without yeah, without a lot of help, which we couldn't even accommodate her coming home. It was just wouldn't work. Anyhow, mm -hmm. the acceptance stage for her or the stage 
where she could talk about it was missing, didn't come, never arrived. And that's why I was hoping therapy could help. But I didn't get a lot of help on that. I had to sort of come up with my own answer for Mm -hmm. that. Mm Mm-hmm. What did you actually learn from therapy? You said it was invaluable. So It was. It was. It helped me know that there was someone that I could talk to about all of my feelings, anger, whatever the case was. How often did you go? Did you go weekly, monthly? I went weekly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He, he actually was a lovely, it, was, it happened to be a man, and he was lovely. He worked out of Princess Margaret Hospital, and he agreed to continue seeing me, even though he didn't have to. Right. And so I I really appreciated that. Again, I love talking to someone and not feeling judged because you don't really, if you're not grieving or haven't ever been through it, you don't really understand that there are things that you're saying during that period that you possibly don't mean. They just have to let you say it. And then going to a therapist helped with that. He helped me realize that there was no right or wrong way to grieve. It was just whatever I was going through was the right way for me. Because, I, you know, I, I didn't know. I didn't know if I was in the right, I was on the right path and maybe I was grieving too long or I was in any one stage too long. I didn't know. And he kept just saying, if it's right for you, then it's right. He taught me relaxation techniques, visualization techniques, breathing exercises, how to recognize a panic attack. Oh, I'd never gosh. had one before. thought mm. I was having a heart attack. Yeah. So he told, he, he gave me pointers on not only how to recognize it, but what to do, the breathing to help you come out of it and the thought process. Let me see what else. He told me to avoid triggers in the first few months, just while I was really in the initial stages. What would be a trigger for you? Not go to a favorite band that Dave and I liked. Mm, Or go to see a show. A restaurant. A restaurant, a particular movie, maybe movies mm-hmm. that I knew were particularly sad. He said, you know, in the beginning, just best to avoid those. How about just living in your house, like going into the bedroom, going into his closet? Weren't you those know, triggers? No, actually, for me, they weren't. And I've talked to several people mm-hmm. that have experienced loss, and for them, it was a yeah. huge trigger. But for me, no, it for, no, it was comforting. You said that you also took up journaling. How did that work? I did. I took up journaling, which really helped. Now, I had always been, I shouldn't say always, I was one of those young girls who likes to write things down and I would journal while I was young. But when my daughters were born, I started keeping a daily journal more for them to see what our lives were. Yeah. Every day? Every single day. I just took a few minutes to journal and I still still, do it. You still do it. Terrific. Mm -hmm. I still do it. Do you have anything written from when... Dave I have. was sick or died. Yes. So and died. I looked up, I looked up, I these happened to be two letters that were oh. not. So I had written in September, I just, uh, I looked through them and these really, it resonated with me now and I was very teary reading it, but here it is. In September, which would have been two months after he died, I wrote, life is so different without you. I feel overwhelmed with the responsibility of taking care of Megan, the house, Lauren, Dallas, all of it. I don't know if I can do it. That was two months after. But then I wrote on Tuesday evenings, I'm attending a wonderful support group. It helps me so much to be with people going through the same thing as me. I thought I was going crazy, but as it turns out, it's just this hell called grief. Hmm. Well, that's terrific. Four months later, I'll just show you the change even a few months makes. 
I wrote, I've learned from my therapist and at the grief support groups to be gentle with myself. It's okay to say no to family and friends when I'm overwhelmed. I've learned that no matter how hard, I need to appreciate every day and live for the moment. So very wise, I think, if you're trying to get through any difficult time, not think of the past, not think of the future, just live in the moment. I wish I could have journaled like that. I did write a couple um, memos to my clients. I think I wrote four in total. One was thanking them for being so supportive and also coming out to the, to the funeral and to the reception. And then I wrote three others, I think at a six-month mark, a 12-month mark, and then at a 30-month mark. They are on my website if you're interested in reading. But it, I don't want to go into that because you covered it so well, the, the merits of, of journaling. What I learned was um, CBT, Cognitive Behavior Therapy. And again, I'm not a psychologist. And I'm, I'm going to explain it, but it may not be the best way for you to learn it or for you to understand it. CBT stands for Cognitive Behavior Therapy. And it deals with evaluating your thoughts. So how you think leads to how you feel and how you feel leads to your behaviors. So for example, in my case, when I was having very deep grief, I had negative thoughts. And so my thoughts were like, what am I ever going to do now? What can I do now that my life has changed so much? It is now almost to the point where do I even want to continue living? Because it's so negative. It's so different. And everything we've done is now out of, it's just gone. It's off the table. We just have to, I have to start over again. So I had all of those thoughts ruminating and they're negative thoughts and negative thoughts lead in, in CBT theory lead to how you feel. And of course, if you have those thoughts ruminating and eventually you're going to start feeling depressed, anxious, and your behaviors will reflect it. You you won't be socializing, you'll be withdrawn, etc. So what CBT taught me to do was to evaluate my thoughts. And so if I had a thought in my head, and I don't know where they come from, they just pop into your head, they're that little voice in your head. I wrote them down. So if I said I had nothing to look forward to, that was a thought. I wrote it down and I then I try to debunk it. All of the things that I should be looking forward to living to, my children, my health, my business, living in one of the greatest countries in the world. And those were all things that I used to dispel my negative thoughts. So then I stopped thinking as often about these negative thoughts or whenever I did, I replaced them with one of the real thoughts. So yes, life will be more difficult over the next 12, 24 months, or even forever, but it doesn't mean it's the end of, end of my life. There was a very good book that I was asked to read. It was, it's called Full Catastrophe Living, published in 1990 by John Kabat-Zinn. I think he was one of the grandfathers, if you will, of the mindfulness notion or approach where you actually pay attention on purpose to everything that is happening right now in the moment. What that does, it stops you from thinking about the stuff in the past or the stuff in the future and allows you to enjoy exactly what is happening today. And full catastrophe really applies to our life. 
we live in a life where we experience love, sorrow, joy, grief, on and on. They're two extremes. So we have to find a way that we can still experience those human experiences and enjoy them as much as we possibly can. Anyhow, long story short, that's what I got out of therapy. I never thought I would get that out of therapy, but that's what happened to it me. Worked and for I, you. I, it worked for me. And if if other people are interested, there's a lot of stuff written about CB, CBT and how it affects people, I think, in mm -hmm. a positive way. So do you think you suffered from complicated grief? I'll define that for you. It's it's prolonged and intense symptoms that interfere with daily life. Did that happen? No, I think I suffered from anticipatory grief. And that's where you anticipate someone who will pass away or you feel will pass away. And you start grieving before that actually happens. Mary had her first set of chemo and she had very, very good results from that. But when the cancer came back, then I, I started really feeling grief at that point because I didn't think she would be able to beat it. Mm -hmm. I thought the cancer would not be in retreat ever again. And as it turned out, and, and I didn't know, I the doctors indicated it. But one of my children, I will not name his or her name, had, I believe, again, from a lay person's point of view, I think they did have complicated grief. They were unable to do very much. They were depressed. They were unable to see or deal with their friends. They had trouble with their work. And it took a long time to sort of break that negative loop. For example, and this was very, this was how they felt. And it also hurt me when I heard it. They felt that if, unless they were suffering mentally, physically, they were not honoring their mother's life or their mother's grief. So they needed to suffer in order to feel that they were worthy. And, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, if you knew, well, you knew Mary, that would be the last thing she would want you to do. She would not want you to suffer. She would want you to remember her and move forward, but definitely mm -hmm. not suffer. And I don't think anybody would want anyone else to no. suffer. How no. about you? Did you have, um, no, I would, grief? I would say I didn't. And, yeah. uh, my girls also did not, they were quite young, so they didn't, uh, they didn't have that. So it wasn't something I experienced. So therapy for you and I did help, uh, yeah, but it definitely. doesn't, it's not for everyone. And we're not advocating that it's for everyone, for sure. It's, it's totally up to the individual, but why do you think people don't think, seek it? Yeah, I think there's some definitive answers to that. And this is from my personal experience and from what I've heard from other grievers. I think there's two or three key reasons. Number one is that they, I think they have a misconception. They say, I don't need it. And I, I, and maybe you don't, and I'm not saying you don't, but if you don't try it for maybe, you know, five, six lessons or sessions in a row, I don't think you can say, I don't need it. Men have this, I think this is probably a man problem, not a woman problem. They tend not to think that they need help. Well, it signals weakness or it did. Yeah, it did. certainly exactly. doesn't anymore. Thank goodness mental health yeah. is well, that's much more the, aware. Of. But that's the other thing. No, I think there is a difference here. There's a misconception. I don't need help. And then the second reason is that they feel that they go to see a psychologist. They think they're, and I quote, air quotes, they're crazy. Only mm -hmm. crazy people go, which is, again, such 
It's such wrong. a wrong way to look at sure. it. Sure, it's an old, a very old way of yeah. thinking. Thank goodness again. Yeah, that and has that's changed. And yeah, mental health has become definitely more positive today to seek help and to mm-hmm. to share that with other people. The other last last reason people don't seek help is is the financial component. Uh, psycho- to, to see a psychologist, you could have a cost of about two to three hundred dollars per hour, yeah, mm-hmm. per session, and you're not going to get this done in one session. So, those are probably the top two or three reasons why people don't go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, what are the alternatives then? If you are there any? So, we in Canada have OHIP, which is government paid uh, healthcare or we yeah. contributed to it, but what else could they use possibly? Right. You could go to o- OHIP covers, of course, your uh, hospital stays and your doctor visits and your psychiatrist being a medical doctor, he or she would probably be covered by OHIP in Ontario. And so that's not an issue. The problem with that I found when I was there, and this is before COVID, they had very long waiting periods. The periods mm-hmm. were, the waiting period was about six months. And you know, that I couldn't wait that long. So OHIP is there. Another approach would be to find your employer health plan. And if you are employed, I would say most of the time, the employer will cover mental health expenses, such as a psychologist, a therapist, a social worker. And so that'll help you cover the cost if you have that plan. Ultimately, it's out of pocket if mm-hmm. you don't have any of those plans. And we talked about private therapy and they can be expensive. Did you have any other support? I could have, but most people were, well, as soon as Mary died, we ran into COVID and then everything was shut down. Mm-hmm. So help from family and friends was very limited. Yes, they could have called. They didn't call us often. <laughs> they mm-hmm. could have come over. Maybe they weren't allowed to come over, but that wasn't a normal period of time. Complicated, I hope not. yes. How about um, you? You had a non-COVID. I did. Brief so what family, happened? family was wonderful. I've, I'm, I think I mentioned in episode one that one of my siblings, uh, Jenny, in fact, and my mother moved in with me for a long period, months, to help me. So they and my other siblings, my four sisters, and they were all there for me. They were great. Some friends were good. Some disappeared completely. And that's fine. I had one friend who actually told me that her way of helping me was to call me every day. She said, if I don't, if you don't want to talk, just tell me and I'll hang up. And she did. And she did. And just, it wasn't the phone call. It was the thought that someone was thinking of me. Right. That helped me so much during that period. How many people did that? Just her. Yeah. Just her in terms of the calls. Yeah, why do you think more people do? I never did that when other people told me that they had lost someone close. Mm-hmm. I do think you know? People, mm, I do. You know why? Why? I do. <laughs> <laughs> I will tell you. Okay, I think go ahead. I think they're afraid to be us. Mm-hmm, I think yeah. that if they talk to us or visit us as grievers, then it could be them, and that thought is beyond them. That we represent what could possibly happen to them. So that's why some people stay away. But and they uh, don't, I, I don't think that, and, and me included, I don't think we know how to talk to people that have lost a spouse. No. We, had, we I, I, in the past, I would just, just do my very, very best to ignore the topic. You sure. know how they, they say, ignore the elephant, don't ignore the elephant in the room. Well, I would try to ignore it. Sure. Because you think you're going to make the person cry right. or uncomfortable. Right. Mm-hmm. And All you of don't. that. 
You don't want I know, that. Well, now in hindsight, I want people, if I were visiting someone who had lost uh, mm-hmm. uh, someone close, I would want to talk about them. I think, And it, that's what I tell a, people. Yeah, it's such a beautiful way to to rejoice in their memory and their, mm. their lives. And wow. and at the time, if you're within six months, it may make you teary, but that's okay. Yeah. That's okay. Course. You still, I still, and I remember thinking, I want people to talk about him. Right. Um, right. Let's not so, ignore the elephant. Yeah. No, no. Let's. So that, that was and, therapy, but there are a lot of other mental health resources in Ontario and in Canada. Mm-hmm. And we will have them listed on the show notes, as well as the website in the resource section. A few of them though are, C-A-M-H. CAMH. Yes, CAMH. <laughs> Thank you. Canadian Association of Mental Health and Addiction. They have a lot of resources on their site, so you can reach out to them. And also the Canadian Mental Health Association. They have a large section on grief. Um, there will be many others. Again, refer to our show notes and on the website in the resource section. I'd like to end the show again by asking one thing that you've learned through your grief journey or through this podcast, Richard. Well, I, I'm going to tell you what I, I think my lesson is. Well, I know what I'm, my lesson was and is, but I don't want people to think that I'm being insensitive. But all of the therapy in the world will not help you unless you make a firm commitment to yourself that you want to be healed and you want to move forward. So go to therapy if that's your plan. If your plan is not to go to therapy, that's good too. But I think the key here, the magic bullet is that you yourself have to admit that this is going to hurt and you want to come out the other side. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's my lesson. That's a very good lesson. Mine is is somewhat similar. Do you want to hear it? I do. Go ahead. Okay. (laughs) So (laughs) I chose gratitude. So even on my saddest, darkest days, I tried to think of little things that I should be grateful for. Of course, one of the large things was my daughters. I was forever grateful for them. But even little things, if I caught myself laughing, I would think, okay, I'm laughing. That's hope for the future. Just little things like that. And uh, that's what I learned through my grief process. So you were kind of uh, practicing CBT there because I guess I was. If you had a negative thought, you were replacing it with gratitude Mm -hmm. and it changed the way you felt. Mm, I it's, it's kind of my personality. You were, you were well ahead of your time. I was. It, it's somewhat my personality <laughs> anyway. I'm one that likes to. So do you still choose gratitude when you are in a negative position or a negative situation? I do. I'm dealing with the health of my mother and my mother-in-law currently. And it's it's been very, very difficult. However, even when I leave their homes, I try and look at something that's beautiful or something that I'm grateful for. I, I try and even take a walk through nature, be wow. grateful for that. So I do, and, I do still changes, do that. And it changes how you feel. Mm-hmm. It does. It does. Great. So we've come to the end of the show. Yeah, thank, for sure. Thank, thank you. Thank you again, Richard. Bye-bye and take care. Hey, listeners, for more insight, support, and resources related to widowhood, visit my website at mywidowedlife.com. That's where I expand on topics discussed on the podcast and apply them to the unique circumstances of widows and widowers. I also invite you to join the My Widowed Life Facebook group, a group that welcomes everyone, regardless of when you lost your loved one. This is a safe, 
non-judgmental space where you can like, comment, and post in an environment where everyone gets it. Please see the show notes for contact details and links to the My Widowed Life website and Facebook group. If you enjoyed the episode, subscribe, rate, and review it on your favorite podcast platform. Also, please share this podcast with your family and friends. Until next time, take care.